Welcome to Season 5, Episode 5 of Beyond Zero. I'm your host Ben. Joining me today is Alvaro Enrique. Alvaro is a writer and his new novel, You Dreamed of Empires, is out now from Riverhead Books. Welcome to the show, Alvaro. Thanks very much for inviting me. I have to, to tell to your to, to your listeners that, that, that you were the first person who wrote to me to, to 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 do a podcast about this book. So I'm very thankful about it. You, you were believing in this book when we were still trying to put together a lounge. So thanks very much for inviting me then. I have to pass on thanks to Natasha Wimmer for that because she's been working with you on this book and the next book and and Southern Death, of course. So I think she was the one who suggested I get in touch. And yeah, it's um, a joy reading both books. So I have to thank her too. Well, she she's a, 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 an excellent translator. Mm. And, and I think that a very good reader. There, there are Latin American writers, I swear this is true, to which I have arrived because of Natasha, no? writers mm. that, that I don't know. I'm thinking about Nona Fernandez. Yeah, that, that I think that it's an, an extraordinary Chilean talent, mm. uh, and I didn't know her work in Spanish. I read her through Natasha, and mm. then I went, of course, to the Spanish original. You know? yeah. But it was her who, who opened that door to me, as many others. You know? The same mm. thing with Padura, many other Latin American authors. Yeah, I think while we're on her, like I, I feel like, and this is coming from some of the translators I've interviewed on here, is that there's a whole generation of really great young female translators who are translating work, especially throughout Latin America now. And it's just, it's unbelievable the amount of work coming out of Latin America from really great female writers being translated by really great female translators on the whole. It's a whole phenomenon. No? Mm. The mo- most of the read of the books, of the Latin American books I read, of the of written in Latin America, are, are written by, by women and, and the... <laughs> the way in which that has renewed I it is it's not my place to speak about that no I am not a, 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 a like like a professor of feminism or anything mm-hmm. but but as a reader I can feel how it has renewed the the voice of Latin America in the mm-hmm. world it's we, we, we went from these like enormous novels that wanted to tell the whole history of the world. Yeah. In a thousand pages mm. to these new, very fresh, very sharp, incredibly intelligent books mm. uh, about about like intimate part. No, no, intimate is not the word. About the specific parts of, of, of the Latin American continent yeah. that that have really changed my point of view of what, what it means to write, and I think everyone's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um. It's been amazing, actually, because I think it's a whole new world to me, because I don't think a lot of these authors I ever would have come across, um, you know, without talking to some of these amazing translators. And I think Natasha seems to just be the one of the absolute inspirations for a lot of those people. Yeah, I, I was telling you about none about Fernandez. I, I mm. don't know her, but there's Samantha Schweblin, no, there's mm. Valeria etc. It, it, it's very impressive, you know, the amount of new writing that is coming out of Latin America. And and, and it's Monica Ojeda, you know, yeah. it, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to keep up. You no, know, there, mm-hmm. there is so much new stuff coming out yeah. that, that it's hard to, to keep up. And I go to Mexico City, I don't know, three times a year or four, 
mm-hmm. right? And constantly in bookstores. Nevertheless, it, it just moves fast, which yeah. is great. Absolutely. All right. I want to talk about your life in Pittsburgh. What do you do over there? No, I no, I don't. I don't live in Pittsburgh. I I was in Pittsburgh yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Two days ago, for the first time in my life. Yeah. To to do an event in in a fantastic place that that is, the 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 the, the, the like joint is named City of Asylum, and yeah. and, and it's a compound of old houses, early 20th century row houses, mm-hmm. where a group of people got organized to give writers that are refugees space to live in the city of Pittsburgh. Okay. So so, so I, I was there just visiting the place that, that is really impressive and yeah. doing, and, and we did an event related to the new novel. Oh, wow. No, but, but, I was very impressed because there is a house like this. There must be one in Australia for sure. In mm-hmm. Mexico City, there is a house with a couple of apartments mm-hmm. for, for refugee writers yeah. not that belong to the same network. But, but but the work they are doing in Pittsburgh is amazing because it, it's a bunch of houses and, and they have a real incidence in the cultural life of the city. Mm-hmm. You know? So so I I, I, I even think that of course the, the the word refugee is very important politically and, and it's a, mm. an important signifier but 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 it's more like a welcoming center you no know, it is is very impressive that 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 a city that is famous for its football team yeah. <laughs> that's known because of Carnegie who was not the ultimate gentleman yeah hosting this beautiful program and that keeps growing up you know it's, it's just great Mm-hmm. I was very impressed by. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said, "How is your life in New York?" That's what I should have said. Exactly. Yeah, I live mm-hmm. in New. Well, it's 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 a middle class life. Man, <laughs> no, no more than that. It's, it's just a middle class life. I mm-hmm. have children, so most of my time is devoted to to them and and to do whatever they need to survive. Yeah. You know, I, my professor in a university. I, I live in I live in Harlem, mm-hmm. but but I teach in a university in Long Island. So I I do a commute twice a week to go teach my classes. I'm a 17th century professor, literature professor, you know, which is like a very specialized thing, I suppose. Be, being in the U.S. In, in Latin America or Spain wouldn't be. Yeah, that weird. And, and that's it. I have a dog. <laughs> I, I write whenever I can, yeah. and I'm full of manias. That that that's pretty much it. No, it's just a middle class life. <laughs> <laughs> you were telling me about your work in at Hofstra University over there, but tell us about more about the the subject that you teach. Well, I did my most of the courses I took when I did my PhD were in Baroque poetry. I, I was always. <laughs> Since I was very young, interested in Baroque poetry, who knows why? Who knows why? No, those interests are just weird. I, I was always interested in the 17th century. And as I progressed in, in the PhD, I, I understood that being Latin America, it was like my place in the world to, to be a colonialist. Also, mm. not, not, not in the ugly meaning of the world, but a person that studies the, mm. the colonial process in Latin America. So I began to dig in the sources of, of in, in the writing of, of 17th century 
pretty much Mexico and Peru. There is some things that are interesting in Ecuador also, etc. But there is not much writing yet in the Baroque period in Spanish, except in indigenous cultures. Mm. So when I discovered that vector, I, I began to connect more and more and to go deeper and deeper, which took me to become a reader of, of 16th century documents and, and, and epics and, and stories and whatever was written in the period. And, and 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 that is what produced by one let's say in academic terms you know, my, mm -hmm. my my interest in, in what we now call first contact that, mm -hmm. that is the moment in which Europeans and, and Americans saw their faces for the first time there there was in in the past it was called the conquest which is an infamous word word mm -hmm. then trying to make it more gentle and more inclusive which usually produces a worst result. People mm. begin to speak about the encounter, which was not really an encounter. And now specialists, the historians, archaeologists, mm. literary critics, etc., call it first contact that I think that, that is a very good term that describes what happened. You know, people from two completely different worlds saw each other in the face for the first time. Mm. And they dealt with it as they could with the tools they had. Yes, we'll talk about that soon because that plays out really nicely in this book and also the previous book. But before we do that, I want to talk about uh, you growing up in Mexico City and then just tell us a little bit about your background and how you, you know, headed over to America and did your PhD. I, I was... I was a Mexico City kid, and I was not born in Mexico City. I was born in Guadalajara, mm -hmm. but but my parents were my my dad had just Don Jorge had just got a job in in the federal government, so they had to move to to the capital city, and, and that's how we ended up in Mexico City. I I arrived there when I was two or three weeks old, mm -hmm. and so so even when all. All my biographies since Alvaro Enrique, a writer for Guadalajara, from Guadalajara, I, I never <laughs> lived there, you know, which, which is interesting and, and kind of heavy because many of the great, great, great writers of the Mexican 20th century come from Guadalajara. You know? So mm. it, it, it's a negotiation that I have had to do all my life. To, am I part of that or not? You know, my family is from there, but I am not, etc., etc. And we were a, a middle-class family. My my father, well, not now both my parents are retired, but my my father was uh, working the in what would be the treasure, the ministry of the, the treasure. In, mm. Yeah, Secretaría de Hacienda is in Spanish or in in Mexican political jargon. And my mother was a chemist, and she specialized in hematology, so she worked in public health institutions in laboratories doing things about human blood, curing <laughs> <laughs> things about human blood and studying human blood. Mm -hmm. So 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 it, it was public hospitals. So so we were like uh in the limit middle class family always. No there, there was never enough money for in for for the aspirations of the family. But at the same time in a country as unequal or as Mexico, we we had a lot of opportunities no? as children. So so it was that the world. This was the seventies in Mexico City, 
that were, it was the apex of the national revolutionary period. No, no, Mexico was not a democracy, it was a party dictatorship. It, 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 it was not the horrors that people saw in Latin America. It, it was a very open regime and it was kind of capitalist, but also kind of socialist, more than anything like ultra-nationalist, uh, so, which is a vaccination against the new nativisms in the world for me, of course, and I think that for all my generation. But, but we grew up in this world in which there was not freedom of expression, but there were all the other freedoms. Mm. It was mainly boring. No, it, it was a very provincial, it, but Mexico City was already enormous, of course, but it was a very provincial town, disconnected of the world, very ugly. Now, if you go to Mexico City, it's a beautiful city that, that is incredibly green and, 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 mm. and like pulsating. No, it's, it's full of this super creative vibe and, and a hub for contemporary art and, and, and a place where writers of all the world arrive, etc., etc. In that moment, it was not like that at all. It was like an enormous forgotten town, very great, very sad. They, there were no all, all the programs that that have improved the quality of the air, for example, didn't exist in that moment. So it was like really great, really polluted, really tremendously ugly. Mm. Nevertheless, is my town, no, and and I was there to see how it opened, how how it became a cosmopolitan city, the cosmopolitan city that always was, right? how that that spirit returned to the town, and 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 how how the town recovered its self esteem as a central city in world history, because it is, you know, it, it was the like the very heart of early globalization in mm. the 17th century, so. So, so it's been a, like 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 a love story for me. Oh, oh, not not all my books are translated into English, but but all of them are somehow a a, a a love letter to my town. Maybe because I left to to do a PhD in College Park in the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. My my first wife was American. We had a baby, and she wanted to return to the West Washington area where her mother lived. And in that moment, College Park had one of the best PhDs in Spanish in the world, not, not, not only in the US. I, I had fantastic professors there. So, so we returned and, and I did a PhD there. And one stays, you know, where the children begin to grow up and they mm. become a different thing that you were planned. And I, I tried to relocate in Mexico once, and I did, and, and and it worked well, but 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 at the end of the day, I ended up teaching here in the U.S. Mm. So that's more or less the story of why I ended up in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and so, tell me about getting into that world of writing. So, how did how did that occur, and at what period did you start writing books? I, I. Since I was was very young, I, I, I was a reader. I, I think that not, not not of great literature, of course. You know, uh, I, I I was a child with with respiratory problems. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had like heavy respiratory problems, so I spent a lot of time at home, not going to school, yeah. and I spent a lot of time in my bed. Mm -hmm. and both of my parents worked, so so it's not like I had a 
mom or a dad to entertain me there, as now happens with my children that have yeah. me that are except the days I teach, I am stay home then. Mm. So so I could spend the days reading be, because the, again it was the seventies. The, there was not Cartoon Network. Yeah. <laughs> there there was nothing to do if you were a child. So I would read mainly comics, of course, uh, and mm. books for children and adventures books and, and things like that. So, so reading was always a thing for me, and 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 always something of which that produced me an an, an enormous pleasure. You know, I I still have that ability to to just live the world with 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 all its preoccupations. I have four children. Imagine, mm. I, I I have more preoccupations than anyone in the world. All, all the time, I worried about things. I, but still, in the moment in which I sit down in the reading chair. All of that disappears, mm. no? and I can go wherever I'm going with the book I'm reading. So, so, so I was that kind of reader, and, and, and I suppose that that I was a little bit shameless. You no, know? a, a writer is a shameless reader, mm. so, so I just tried to put a dent there. Someone helped me to begin writing in a tiny magazine in a newspaper without importance in Mexico City, importance in Mexico City. And I sent that, and a, a couple of stories. I, I was like 20, I was incredibly young, but 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 one began earlier in those times. Mm. They published those stories, and then the guy in the cultural supplement of that same newspaper with no importance told me, what about you? What's, I like your story, what's this? Uh, and and I by then I, I already had an American girlfriend who would be my, my first wife. So so I had access to books in English, mm. which was difficult in that moment or, or in which Mexico was so close. So he told me, why why don't you just write about American fiction, contemporary American fiction that you read? Mm. So I be, began to write articles about American authors that 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 look like interesting. Yeah. Uh, for example, <laughs> about Paul Oster, <laughs> no, this new young, very handsome yeah. <laughs> American writer is so mm -hmm. interesting. Or, or this British guy, Ian McKeown, no, is so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I will recover those articles be, be, mm -hmm. because they were not luminaries. No, Martin Amis, he's so good. So, so, so I began to write, write about that. And when I was 20, I got a call, no, maybe more, maybe 21, something like that. It, it was very early in my life, maybe 22, I don't know. Mm. I, I got a call from Vuelta magazine. Vuelta was the magazine that Octavio Paz directed, okay. the Nobel Prize, and, and it was mm. the absolute canonical, powerful magazine of Mexico. It was an extraordinary magazine in which the best pens, not, not only of Mexico and Latin America, but the whole world growth. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was really a global, amazing magazine. And, and, and I got a call from someone that, that was editing there, saying, we, we read you and, and we're interested in you writing reviews for us, but, but about books in Spanish. Mm -hmm. so, so I was this child in college. <laughs> I, and I got to publish a first review in, <laughs> sorry, in Octavio Paz's magazine. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was, now seems impossible. 
it mm. was not that difficult then and that opened a lot of doors for me that that eventually conduct me to 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 live of what I love the, the, that is reading and writing you know I, I have mm. done many things as everybody but most of them have been related to to books you know that that, that is what I know about I I, I I don't know. I, I don't know how to use my iPhone, but I'm like incredibly good finding the proper book and the proper code and quote, mm. etc. Because that's what I have done yeah. all my life. In where in 1996, that that I remember because my first child was just born. Mm. 1996, there was this. Uh, uh, there was an enormous crisis in '94 in Mexico that that hit the the many media for which I wrote and a couple of radio programs I did we we could live with those little things uh, and in the crisis all half of those things disappeared so it was like it's now I never if I will ever write a novel it will be now mm-hmm. so, so because I had time for the first time in my life I I began to write the death of an installation artist that that is not published in English. Yeah, but it, I think that it's in Italian. I don't know. It, it's it, there is some translations of it, and from there on, I I just became a critic that wrote novels, and now I am a, a, a writer of novels that that does reviews from time to time. All right. Well, that leads us on very nicely to your new book, "You Dreamed of Empires." It is out now from Riverhead Books. Like sudden death, it's set in about the same time period. And we have Cortez who runs through both books. But this book focuses on Moctezuma and his palace as Cortez and his men and his translators arrive. But can you paint the picture in this historical context for us? Because this is a Mexico city that I've I've seen kind of little bits about, but I don't know a whole lot about. But can you just paint the picture of what's going on, what this palace is like, and um and what happens when Cortez and his men arrive? What you are doing, Ben, is very dangerous because I'm a professor. So I, I have a, I'm a very timid person. I'm a very quiet <laughs> person. But, 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 but I have a switch back here. Mm-hmm. And if you turn it on, I speak, I can speak for an hour and 25 minutes <laughs> about something I know about. So, yeah. But please stop me when I, this becomes a, a nightmare of boredom or even a little bit boring. But the, you have to imagine the city. You know, if, if if you're in Australia, you don't have a single reason to know what Tenochtitlan was. You know, yeah. there's people who knows things. You no, know, I, I, so 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 I welcome their love for my country. Mm. But if not, you should like not feel shame. It's it's it's, it's very old and never. But but Tenochtitlan was the city that that was the capital of the Mexica Mexica Empire, mm. which is called. Aztec Empire, which is an improper name, but, but it's fine. No, I don't have a problem a problem with improperty. But but the was the capital of, of the Mexican Empire, and it was an astonishing city. Mm-hmm. The, the the there is the there are very few testimonies of Europeans who saw the city before its destruction. Mm. And one of them is Bernal Díaz del Castillo, who who wrote later in his life. For, he he was a soldier in Hernán Cortés's expedition, 
and, and he wore growth some 40 years after that, pretty much to denounce the lies of Hernán Cortés in his letters and testimonies. And, and he wrote this incredibly beautiful, very long, but incredibly beautiful and vivid chronicle of, of the battle between the Castilians and the Mexican for the city, in, in which he, in, in that goes day by day. That, that's why it is beautiful. Mm. And it's written in, in an everyday Spanish of that moment. So, so it's somehow connected to Don Quixote that would be written a hundred years later mm. because it's the everyday language of the people. You know? and, and it's almost a picaresque book when the picaresque novel in Spain was just beginning to be a concept. You know? mm. so, so he tells this story and and when they arrive, when, when he's describing the, the day in which they arrived to Mexico City, he, they, they are in the town that still exists of Amecameca. You know? And when the morning comes, they see the lake and they see the city in the center of it. And what Bernalias del Castillo, after a very brief description, says is, we, we didn't have anything to compare that city to. You know, any city we had been was like an ugly city compared with, with this floating city, because it was a floating city. You know? and, and we could only compare it, he says, with the Chevalier novels we were reading during the trip. Mm. So this was like a city coming out of Amadís de Gaula and not like Paris or Sevilla or Madrid, the cities we know. You know? And I think that that, that that says a lot about the city. You know? It was this... Tenochtitlan was a small island in the center of an enormous lake. And, and, and this small island began to expand in, in the 14th century, in 13-something, with little squares of land that the Mexica could do adjacent to the island, mm. little by little, conquering the lake. So by the arrival of the Spaniards, the city was 250 years old. And that expansion had occupied an important part of the lake and had developed a system of, of, of channels and, and like neighborhoods in which those islands, those artificial islands had like expanded and, and some were, of course, for agricultural things, most of them, or, or to raise animals, but others had temples, others had, had, had like military installations so, so what the Spaniards saw was this lake and in the middle of which there was an enormous city. Everybody says that it was the, or, or the, the Spaniards say that it was the biggest city in the world in that moment. It is not true. Paris was bigger in that moment. But it was bigger than Seville. No, it, it was a very densely populated, very productive, very green city that was floating in the middle of a lake. No? Mm -hmm. and, and, and you have to think in the, for example, in the use of color of Mexico, no, it's, it's a tradition we still have. No, colors are stronger in Mexico. I don't know why. No? And, and and you so you have to think in in the temples, not not as we see them today, as, as these gray stone structures, but 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 electric with colors. No? And 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 you 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 have to imagine that that world full of towers or fortresses. Or, or, of water, of plants, and, and so, so it was a really beautiful 
city that was connected to the mainland by four artificial roads, one of which the Spaniards entered through to the city. So I, I don't know if, if that gives an idea of that. The, the, in, in, to, to give an historical context, Hernán Cortés is commanded by, by the governor of Cuba in that moment to go do some mapping of the coast. The, the, there had been some expedition, and, and the Spaniards knew that there was a, a, a that, that there was a continent there, and that it was highly populated, right? and that the civilizations that were there were complex and hard to fight, and that mm. that, that, that so the governor of Cuba sends his secretary, who was Hernán Cortés, he was a 14-year-old, 40-year-old, very short, very anodine character. He, he had not done anything notorious in his mm. life. He sends him, and well, to, first to put together the money, to, to, to get associate people to, to put together the money, to make a mission, to make a map on how to arrive to that new land. And Hernán Cortés does it. And he he goes first to the island of Cozumel, then he goes to Yucatán. Then he navigates near the all the Gulf Coast. And when he arrives to where Veracruz is today, he decides to reveal against the governor of, of Cuba, committing a crime of less magi lesa majestad, I don't know how you say that in English, but, but being disobedient to the governor. Yeah. And because of that, to the king. And, and he decides to go to Tenochtitlan because they have heard about the city and they have heard about Moctezuma and they have heard about all these things. So so he makes like a really like like, like basic dumb legal trick, you know, found found some a municipal land in the new continent and says, as this is a municipal land, now I am the governor and I can give the orders, and goes in this completely crazy lunatic expedition to Tenochtitlan with 260 men. You know? mm. Moctezuma was interested in them, of course, he was interested in, in, in well, they were interesting, so, so he lures them to Mexico City, mm. and they arrived to Mexico City on November 1519, and there is this famous meeting with Moctezuma, in which Cortés later tells clearly that Moctezuma says that, that he will serve the king of Spain. Mm. They All the chronicles of the period, all of them, I have read all, everything, and there are not that many. There are only six or seven testimonies of soldiers of that expedition, and all of them talk about the city in the first four days. That is the time that Hernán Cortés took to arrest Moctezuma and take mm -hmm. him to Alas. Mm -hmm. So everything we know about the city is the first day, four days, the Spaniards were in Tenochtitlan. But after those four days, they stayed for eight months. Mm -hmm. Eight months of which no one said a word ever. Mm -hmm. Who knows what happens? But what we know is that eight months later, they are kicked out of Mexico City. You know, they are defeated, they are expelled. And they reorganize with much more soldiers that were coming from Spain with very strong alliances with, with, with other cities of the region to do the invasion of Mexico City. And that's what we 
called the fall of Tenochtitlan. Yeah. It comes after that. But but it's a very complex moment of which we don't know much. The only mm. person who wrote about it in in as it was going on was Hernan Cortes, who wrote two letters to the king. First, the first one after his defeat in Tenochtitlan, and the second one when he won back Tenochtitlan. And those two letters are super biased because he was a criminal, you know, because he was a pirate. He, if he returned to Spain, he would be hung because he had committed an enormous crime that was to 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 be disobedient with his king. You know? So those letters are not trustable, as you can imagine. That that is a golden opportunity for a novelist. You know? mm. we, we really don't know what happened at all. Yeah. And, that encounter changed the world. You know? It's the beginning of globalization, the mm. beginning of colonialism, the, the beginning of commerce, of course, between Americas and Europe, but much more important between Asia and Europe through through the China galleon that would go out of Acapulco. And it's the beginning of the infamous forced migrations of African bodies to other continents. Mm. There, there were slaves, of course, in Europe, but the amount of bodies that were imported to to, Latin, to what is today Latin America in that moment was enormous by by the end of the 16th century. And I swear to you that I will shut up now. By the end of the 16th century, most of the population of Mexico City was of African origin. Mm -hmm. that, that tells you how much that world changed. And you have to consider that there was people coming from the Philippines too, from China, from India, because the China Galleon was installed immediately after the fall of Tenochtitlan. Mm. So, so, so modernity begins there, no? Or, or that's what us who teach this think. Yeah. Well, in this, in this novel, you kind of, you take the, there's translators who Cortez brings over um, to translate from the local language and um, also into, you know, into Spanish so he can understand what's happening. But we also get to see uh, Moctezuma, and he's in this kind of weird, almost depressed state. He's constantly taking magic mushrooms and just, you know, lying in bed and, and chilling. And and at this point as well, like some of his, I guess, some of the people up high in, in that court system were starting to realize that he was kind of getting to a point where maybe he wasn't the, the best person to be in charge. And you describe this beautifully. You describe these kind of these moments where he is just so clearly depressed or clearly um, at a point in his life where he just doesn't know what to do next. He's just relying on his uh, wives and, and younger sisters and things like that to do everything for him. And it's this, like in this book, you get to describe this scene so well. And some of the physical aspects of, of this palace, like having the, you know, the the translators like go out into the, their own like private pools at the back of their rooms and things like that. Like it's so much fun, like hearing these descriptions and and getting this real insight, which is also like at times it is so funny. This book it is just hilarious. But I want to I want you to tell us about I guess some of the the characters that you had to make up to tell us this story within the book. Well, most of them are mm. most of them are historical characters, and and I I I very strongly believe that the the only way to explain what why Moctezuma acted like he acted in, in between 1519 and 1521 when he was killed 
was because he was devoured by a depression, you know, and mm. it's a problem I struggle with. So, so mm. it's great that you notice it, that, that mm. you notice that what Moctezuma has is a depression mm. because it's what he's going through. You know? in, in in the novel, he gets cured of it. I don't think that in mm. the historical times he, he got cured of, of it. But, the, but, but, but that's what the poet Jose Emilio Pacheco used to call an escafé theory. No, mm. a, a theory that I cannot sustain is just yeah. an explanation, but it, it's an instant theory. You know, most of the characters are real, mm. you know? and, and and I was it was very important for me that the names were accurate, that the places were accurate, that the the way the palace looks were accurate. Mm. I, I I was very careful with historical accuracy. Because I gra I was writing a fantastic novel, not an mm. historical novel. I, mm. I was writing a novel that that is like a psychedelic comedy. You know? So so in order for the psychedelic comedy to flow, I, I needed to produce in the reader the sensation of precision in the description of the mm. world, right? And you have to consider that now we live in a world in which the people we all are cyborgs. No, people can Google whatever in their telephone, and they mm. will say this is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the 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 level of precision of the descriptions of the city, it, it or I work a lot on it, and 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 we know a lot about how Tenochtitlan looked now, thanks mm. to archaeology more than to the testimonies of the period. Uh, the, there are two characters that are fictional: the the wife of. Moctezuma, who is also his sister, mm -hmm. that was one of the rumors that that ran that that the Spaniards ran to justify the occupation of the city. Mm. They say he he was a degenerate who was married to his sister to have a child similar to himself. <laughs> That's an absolute lie, mm. but, but but it's a lie that I find very fun. No, mm. or, or or of, of which you, you, it's it's the seed of comedy. I think no, it can be. There were ritual marriages in that period. Cuauhtémoc mm. was married to one of the uh, children. General Cuauhtémoc was married to one of the children of Moctezuma when mm. she was like 12. You know, mm -hmm. which, and, and this was a society that was very strict, protecting the, the rights of women in, in many senses that the Europeans didn't do. Did. Mm. So it was obviously a, a, a symbolic marriage, not to to lineages were getting together. They were not like, like marriage people, or, yeah. or so contemporary historians think. We we will never know because there is not much documentation. But but Moctezuma is married to 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 his sister, and 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 the sister is named Matotoshtli. Mm -hmm. there, there is a legend between historians, you know, that that has never been proved, and I don't think is real. That, that says that before the father of Moctezuma was emperor, Ashayakal, emperor Ashayakal, there was a woman who ruled the empire, and her name mm. was Atatoshtli. There is not enough documentation to say that this is true or not, but I took that name you know, to honor maybe a legend or maybe a, a very strong woman that once ruled that empire. Who knows? No, that, that character is completely imaginary. Mm. And the other character that is completely imaginary is the the, the 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 conquistador in which most of the stories fix that is Jasmine Caldera, who 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 the, 
it was not there you know? o, o, of course the the sexualities in the 16th century were much more fluid than in the 20th or 19th century and I, no, no one was scandalized there was not a word for gay men because the people shared beds all the time only the kings slept, slept in their own beds and people was in boats and they went to war mm. so 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 this idea of, of having sex with another man is scandalous it's a victorian silly idea no? in that yeah. time people just had sex happily with whoever <laughs> wanted or was close or who knows what no? mm. so so the character is possible you know but 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 it's absolutely imaginary i i used both of them has mean and atotoshtli in order to have someone that in the novel gives testimony about the two main characters in conflict in the novel that that are not in in my point of view the principal character the main character yeah. but the historical ones that are cortez and moctezuma mm. the 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 Jasmine Caldera, it's a very sophisticated man. You know? It's a much better educated man. It's a man of a higher social class. So he can see Cortez as what he is. You know? yeah. a, a petty criminal. You know? that, that would become a genocidal figure, but, but that's another story. Anatotoshtli is the sister that was always in the shadow of the power, but, but yeah. it's a person that knows how the palace works. Mm. So, so she can break deals that Moctezuma cannot anymore mm -hmm. during the novel because he's like very high all the time. He's asking for the gods' wisdom, of course, the way it was asked. No? But 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 she she's like the practical hand hand behind him. No, yeah. The rest of the character, the translators, all the captains, all of that are are real characters. Some of the names are names of friends of mine. <laughs> no, or colleagues or mine or <laughs> names that I love <laughs> but that, yeah. that sounds fantastic like Luengas no? there was not a captain named Luengas but I think that there should have been yeah. <laughs> that was a high school friend <laughs> yes there, there's a lot of funny aspects to this book and there's a lot of we're never quite sure what's going to happen because sometimes you know we just have a random human sacrifice occurring here or there but, but we just kind of watch what's happening and it's so funny in parts and it's also one of those books where you have like really serious moments but then you have laugh out loud moments at the same time and i think in your last book as well was was extremely funny in parts well i i really wanted to be like dostoyevsky when i was mm. young like like a very serious depressed writer but but i mm. can't avoid to laugh <laughs> about and, and 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 i think that that has to do to do with the fact that I was a child of a dictatorship. Mm. When you are under a regime where there is not freedom of press, the, the only way in which society pulls out the, the pressure is humor. Mm. You know? And I think that the Mexican humor has to do with, with the tragic story of the country. You no, know, always it, it was first the, the, the jewel of the crown of the Spanish Empire which means a lot of pressure for the population of the country. And then for a few years, it was like, what are we, a kingdom, a republic, an empire? And then the United States appeared, and, and, and mm. the oppression is even worse, yeah. because they are even closer, and they are more powerful than Spain was now. So, so, so I think that we resolve all that. I don't like the word trauma. 
because mm -hmm. it had been so misused in the later years. But in this case, it is. No? The way we resolve the historical trauma of, of, of being always on the defense is with humor. No? Mm -hmm. So, so I, 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 I just can't avoid it. And, and, and I think that, that humor is a tool to, to say higher truths mm -hmm. you know, and, and without boring people. Yeah, there is this thing, Ben, about the, the letters of Hernan Cortes. The letters mm -hmm. of Hernan Cortes, they, they are the only testimony we have of the crucial moment in modern history. Everything mm -hmm. changes after what Cortes tells in those letters. And every time someone has told his adventure from Bernaldez del Castillo, that was with him, to Hugh Thomas in conquest uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. You read the book like, like grabbing yourself in, in it's a thriller, you know, mm. it, it's an amazing epic story. You know, it's a war between two worlds. It, it, it's unbelievable, complex, fun, intense. And you see the letters of Hernan Cortez, Ben, and you fall asleep. In, <laughs> like in the second page, you are already I, I teach that. <laughs> and it's always with my students, just just Drink a lot of coffee and keep going. No, it, it's important. It's the document that, that changed everything. Mm. Keep reading. They are absolutely boring. So I'm terrified of that. No, of the, <laughs> like, yeah, seriousness can be a killer. No, mm. yeah. One of the things that I loved about this book, and it, I think that most readers will love this when they start this book, because right at the beginning of the book, you address Natasha Wimmer. Um, and you make an apology to her about how difficult some of the names are and, and, and things like that. And you told me before we started recording, this was originally directed to your previous editor. Um, but tell us about having this wonderful kind of letter at the beginning of this book. Well, it, it has to, to do a, a little bit with being tired of people saying that that they cannot say Cuauhtémoc, no? Yeah. Right. I, I as, as all people in, as most of the people in places where we speak European languages, yes. I learned to say Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. And if, if I, well, if I go to England, they don't understand me because they say, who's mm. <laughs> But in the rest of the world, if I ask for a Worcestershire sauce, yeah. They will give me a Worcestershire sauce. If I learn that, why cannot someone, let's say, Moctezuma or Cuauhtémoc? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you focus, you learn. Our brain loves to learn new things. Mm. And now at least a language that I don't speak, no? so, so I am defending it like, like only because I'm Mexican, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> it's a language that, that is truly beautiful. Mm. No? Th think about the name of the country. In English, you, you say this really ugly thing that is Mexico. No, it's right. to kill yourself. In Spanish, we say an equally ugly thing that is Mexico. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, Spain was part of the Muslim world for 800 years. Yeah. So we have the sound of this Semitic mm -hmm. languages. That is not the cutest sound you will pronounce no. in your language. <laughs> so, uh, almost that's also as Mexico, mm. Mexico. In Nahuatl, it was Mexico. Mm. I'm absolutely sure that if we call the country Mexico, mm. it would be a better country. 
<laughs> we would be happier people. Where are yeah. you from? From Mexico, mm. and it's such a gentle sound. Akawa mm. is a, a, a very gentle language. Mm. That because the names were transliterated to Latin characters mm. in the 17, in the 16th century, never got modernized. Yeah. No? So uh, Emperor Ashayakal, which is quite a beautiful name, no yeah. Ashayakal. Everybody can say Ashayakal, Ashayakal, Ashayakal. Yeah. You can say it. it's greeting Aksayakatl. Yeah. No Mexican can say that. Forget about one poor British lady. Yeah. <laughs> so, no? One gentleman in South Dakota, someone <laughs> in Sydney, Aksayakatl. It's impossible. Yeah. So 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 the 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 letter what, what the letter says is Look, I, I also freak out when I see these words. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there is a way of, of, of using them. Mm. And, and I don't know, there, there may be a use. Me Mexico is the most populated country in the Spanish-speaking world. Me Mexico is a, an industrial powerhouse. No? Mm. Me Mexico is, it has this economical alliance with the US and Canada that is the most powerful economical bloc mm. in the world. There are many things why Mexico is a relevant country. I'm just naming a few. It's, of course, a powerhouse of culture, you know? And it's not because I am Mexican. I, I live in the U.S. long ago. I, I have a yeah. difficult relationship with Mexico as all mm. Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, 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 it, it's, and, and the next, maybe the next president of Mexico will be named with a, with an agua name. There are two candidates. One mm. is Claudia Sheinbaum, the, the, and the other one is Sochil Galvez. So, so it's a good moment to begin to, to learn to say these names because the president yeah. of Mexico kind of matters. No? It, mm. it, it presides over a big, rich, complicated republic you know, that, that, that will be next year or maybe this year the, the main associate country to the United States. You know, mm. we, we are about to sell more things to the Americans than China. Well, no, yeah. it, that, that that is about to happen. It will happen in the next month. So, so if the next president is Sochil Galvez, you will say how to say Sochi. Mm. <laughs> it it matters, no? yeah. and, and of course Moctezuma is a really important character in world each story, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so the letter says, don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> Just read it. and 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 it. I don't know. It was important for me to to just. Put that lance in 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 the land. Let's respect this. Yeah. Let, let's not freak out. If I read Russian novels, you can read Mexican novels. Nothing mm -hmm. happens to you. You know they yeah. don't bite. The yeah. only thing that will happen is that you will learn a few new sounds in a beautiful language that mm -hmm. that is millenarian language and and that it's okay to know. Yeah, I it did actually help me out a lot because I I think that you're right that English readers see like an X and a T and a Y and an L all together and they just freak out. So it actually helped me quite a lot um, reading the book as well because you could refer to your little note there at the beginning and and have a bit of a guide on pronunciation. Well, and and, and you see it as as an exotical thing. You mm -hmm. you have to think that that people from Spain, for example. We'll see it as an affront because there is a cultural reading of that, and and, and mm. the issue is not resolved. I, I know that Americans resolved their issue long ago with the British and the indigenous nations, etc. In Mexico, no, it, it it's a living discussion in Mexico. Mm. Like if, if you take a cab in Mexico City and they see that you're foreigner, the first thing they will ask you is, 
are you with Cortés or with Moctezuma? And I am yeah. not exaggerating. It's a living issue. <laughs> wow. So, so, so in that that charge is in Spain too. So mm. this text was originally for the I don't know if I should be telling how a fiction book is organized editorially, mm. but but this was a text that was only going to be in the Spanish edition. Yeah. To calm down the 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 impatience of the Spaniards with the affirmation of the. Uh, strong personality of the past colonies let's say yeah. in a terrible way that way and then my 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 wife who is argentinian reads the novel and, and and says i am less familiar with these words than the spaniards no yeah. For the, the, there's no way i can read these words and, and she was right there's no way you can read them as we spell them because it's an archaic spelling I, I, so, so then it appeared in all this, the, the editions in Spanish, and then it was extended into English and, and, and as part of the novel. Very good. All right. Well, I we were discussing this before we started recording, but in English, there's already a title released. Well, it's it's slated for release in 2025. Now I surrender to you, and all, and that is all. But I wanted to ask you in terms of the way these books come out. Um, so I think this now I surrender to you. That is all. That was a previous book to this one in Spanish. Is that right? Yes, it, it, it was previous to that. It came out in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, we well Natasha did the translation. We mm. we worked because I live in English. You know, my mm. children. Well, my all my children speak Spanish. They are fluent in Spanish. Yeah, bilingual. Most of them bilingual, mm. but. The I I work with Natasha. No, mm -hmm. we we she does the work. I my English would never be enough to do what she does. She's an amazing mm -hmm. translator. The the ear she has, uh, she she's just amazing. Nevertheless, we work together. Maybe mainly because we have a lot of fun doing the 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 editions of the books in English. No, because mm -hmm. she I always tell her that in her previous life. She was Mexican because she she can laugh about anything. You you give her a salt shaker, and in mm. three minutes you have great jokes about it. No? She, <laughs> she has a great sense of humor, mm. which is the kind of translator that I need. You know? someone that can laugh about everything because I cannot stop laughing about things. Mm. So so we worked in the translation. We we sent the translation, and we when we sent it, the 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 pandemic hit. And in the pool in Riverhead, they, they were like, let's see how this goes. Yeah. And I think that they were right. Right. What happens in that crisis, as in all crises, is that the market moves to the top and the people who sells more sells much more and the people mm. who sell less sells much less. So it, the, the, this is not, not a difficult novel, but, but it's a very long novel. You know? It's a book of many pages. It's a very complicated novel, etc. So, so the publishers in Riverhead and in agreement with with Harville Seeker in England were like, "Let's wait now, because translations will not do well." Mm. And as I was telling you in our previous conversation, I know anything, everything about books except how to do them. Mm. Not how more than anything, how to sell them. So I always listen to them. No, I, I, 
they, they, they always send these inquisitive things and I say, just do what you think that will be better yeah. for everything. And it was the case, and, and I think that they were right. I, I think that magnificent books came out from the from Latin America and Spain during the pandemic, and they didn't got any attention in English mm. because we, we were all watching TV in our houses, brutally yeah. depressed, you no, know, or, or 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 jogging for six hours or yeah. Or so so the book stayed there, and then. There was so much time between Sudden Death and the new book mm. that when they read the new novel, that is You Dream of Empires, the, the one you just read, they were like, this connects better with Sudden Death. Yeah. That, that is a book that was very successful, at least in the US. I, I mm. don't know in, in England a little bit, but but in the US have like success, the, the success of a Latin American writer. That yeah. is not Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's <laughs> always a very timid thing. Mm. But but it had good echoes. So they were like, it will be easier to connect the memory of the readers with this book. And then we publish the other one. Mm. And somehow the feeling of a trilogy stays. Mm. So we did that. And I'm very happy. You, I have seen that you know more about my life than myself. <laughs> that is, <laughs> you know that it will be published next year. I, I was not aware of that. We, we are right now working in the launching of, of of You Dream of Empires. That that in America is just crazy. You know the 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 amount of of like promotion and materials and things that you do is like a full time job. Mm -hmm. So I really don't have time to forget about think about the books next year. Yeah, about the semester that begins in a week. No, I, I don't have my syllabi prepared, etc. Because I'm all the time taking planes, trains, talking to people. They, they are very serious about what they do, and I have I admire that. You no, know? it's, it's it's very impressive how the publicists of an American publishing house can drop the book in the correct hands you know? mm -hmm. of, of a common reader. You no, know? the, the incredible effort. They do. So one person in Iowa will buy this book and maybe enjoy it. No, I, I have a <laughs> I just love that that they put so much heart on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about what you're working on, just in terms of now I surrender to you and that is all. So how related is that to these two books, to Sudden Death and Your Dreams of Empires? Ah, you will see, you will see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not good to, to talk. <laughs> <laughs> about to to in, in Mexico we think that if you speak about the book a book that is not out yet there's like bad juju for it so yeah. <laughs> I will not speak about it but 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 it's like a trilogy it, it it's it's it, it it drinks in the same waters than the other two books that are like like my my impatience and and, and anger with 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 how the modern times annihilated so many important things that mm -hmm. that, that had been in the world forever, no, that 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 can be a very abstract way of, of of thinking about it. It's not that there is the same characters. This happens in the nineteenth century. It's a okay. completely different book, but but it connects in many senses. Okay, excellent. There you go. I can't wait for that next year.
well, let's see. <laughs> and now I will begin to be nervous about that, not only about this. <laughs> let's change subjects, please. <laughs> All right. Let's the older on. you get, Ben, the, the more you fear the reception of a book. When I was a young writer, I was like a kamikaze, a suicidal writer. I didn't care about anything. I would yeah. just drop the book and think about myself as a good writer. Now I am so insecure, no, so terrified of everything that, that it, it makes me nervous to think that next year I will have to go through this stress of waiting for the New York Times review. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. What will the Guardian say? The Wall Street <laughs> Journal, Daily Times is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll change the subject. Um, I want to talk about your gateway <laughs> books. What was some of the books that opened the world of literature for you? I I remember that when I was I was young, I don't have idea of the age, but I was young. I read Stendhal, the 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 red and the black is named yeah. in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the red and the black, it must be named in English. And I and I remember we, we did these very long trips with my parents. My my parents were, were both from small towns, so they were terrified of Mexico City and, and, and they always thought that we would die of pollution. So so Friday night they would take us out of the city always, mm-hmm. you know, to, to go visit some family, friends, some whatever, but out of the city. So we, we did this like incredibly long and boring trips with them mm-hmm. I, I, which now i know that were great because i knew like every inch of mexico mm-hmm. doing these infamous travels but 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 i could read I, I i was the the youngest son so i was in the back of the car <laughs> it was a hatchback and i was in the back mm-hmm. and i would be reading there for the whole trips and i remember that reading the 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 Red and the black. I thought I I I could just live doing this. Mm. I, I I could could just live doing this, re- reading this. And, and I we were going to my grandparents' house in Guadalajara precisely in that moment. And I was heavily scolded because during all that weekend I didn't put any attention to the grandparents. <laughs> I was all the time in the room reading Stendhal. Mm. And they all thought that it was ridiculous, and certainly it was, but it, it, it was an enormous pleasure with me. And then there, there is this Mexican author that, that was never internationalized, maybe because it would be so difficult to translate him, that just died last week for great sadness for me, who was named Jose Agustin. He was like a Caracas figure. He he was like, like a rock and roll writer mm. from the 60s. When, when, when in 1970, everybody was in jail because they were a communists or guerrilla fighters. Jose Agustin was in jail because he was catched with drugs, not with like a lot of drugs, <laughs> which I think now that that speaks about his view of the future, no? mm-hmm. even when it was, I suppose, shameful in the moment. Not, now I see that he was, and, and he being very young, wrote a couple of books one of them named the perfil that when I read in the moment of rock and roll of my life, in I don't know, high school, no, high school, rock and roll, mm. parties, music, I, I, I read it and it was like 
And, and, and he's a Mexico City fellow that, that he ended up living in a small town, but, but he writes about Mexico City and Acapulco all the time and about parties and, and rock and rolling in the 70s. And, and I remember reading him and thinking, so, so, so you, you don't need to be French or Russian to write something that will ch change someone's life. No? You, you, you can write in the language in which I speak, you know, because he... He wrote in this Mexico City way of speaking that is very peculiar. He broke that barrier and, and was a bestseller. He, he, he was beloved all over Mexico. And so, so it was like, wow, it, your story doesn't have to happen in Lyon to be mm. a great writer that changes the lives of, of the readers. So, so that was reading the perfil of Jose Agustin was the first moment that I, I thought I, I could do this. Maybe I, I could write. So, so th those would be two like key moments, but 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 I could speak about this forever. You know the <laughs> the moment in which I read Moby Dick, mm -hmm. it, it it was like this is it. No, th there's no reason to read any other book mm -hmm. in history. You know, I could spend my life just reading Moby Dick again and again and again. And then when when I was nineteen, I I things at home were kind of complicated because we were all teenagers. And, and, and it was a tough period for the Enrique Soler family. And I saw that they were in the university, they were promoting these fellowships to go to study in Spain for a year. Mm -hmm. So I went into the classroom and I got one of them. And, and I moved to Spain to, to study for a year. And in Spain, I, I studied journalism because I was a middle class boy terrified of studying literature. No, I never thought that I could live on that. Mm -hmm. So, but, but while I was in Spain, it was like free time. No, I could take only literature classes. So, so I took a class on El Quixote, and I read Don Quixote in in five months with, yeah. in, in classroom. And maybe that was the 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 real moment of change. I I, I remember that that I returned from that trip. I I didn't finish Don Quixote in time for the final exam. So I finished it when I was had returned to Mexico City. And I remember the exact day in which I say, this is what I want to do. You know, yeah. the, this is the, I want to be a child of Cervantes. You know, mm. This is, I, I don't want to do anything else than this. And that's more or less simultaneous to the moment in which I began to write professionally. Mm. Awesome. Okay. Very good. I want to ask you about some of the books you're reading at the moment. And are you looking forward to some books coming out this year in 2024? Well, I'm, I'm a very weird reader that mm. reads very strange things. But, but, <laughs> but right now I'm on, on vacation of the teaching. Mm. So, so I will not bore you <laughs> with histories of things. No, but what I'm reading now that I'm enjoying like crazy is Werner Herzog's autobiography. Mm, I've heard it's great. Every man for, for himself and God mm. against all, best mm. title ever. Mm. <laughs> and I'm enjoying it like crazy, you know, in this mm. complicated moment in which I take a lot of planes and a lot of trains and a lot of everything. It's just, it's just great to have the, the company of that voice that we all know, mm. <laughs> maybe because we saw the Star Wars saga. Or maybe because we have been, if you're a nerd like me, watching his films forever, no? mm. his documentary. 
but 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 this is a, a book I love. Then because I'm always reading some Latin American fiction, I always have a a, a Latin American fiction book to be reading, and I'm reading now Camila Sosa Villalda. Have you? I've you heard of her? her. I've heard of her, but I haven't read anything about her. She is an amazing Argentinian writer. Mm -hmm. She she wrote a, a, a novel that was named Bad Girls in English, Las Malas, mm -hmm. and that broke so many stereotypes. No, and more importantly, it it was a book that recovered the heritage of a world of which any in, any Latin American writer wants to know anything about. That is magic realism. Mm -hmm. no? She, she picked up some techniques of magic realism and wrote this extraordinary novel about the the, the life of a trans woman mm. in the streets of Cordoba that, that in Argentina that is an important city but is not Buenos Aires. It's a more conservative city, it's a Catholic city. And she wrote this novel that is just unbelievably good. And she just published a new novel Name Tesis sobre una domesticación, dissertation uh, about becoming, about domesticity, maybe. Uh, that is really good. I, I, I will finish it, I think, today or tomorrow. In the next train, I'm, I take, uh, <laughs> I'm reading a, a silly, not a silly, a great book that is a classic, that is Man Play Games of Roger Calois, the, okay. the French thinker. It, yeah. it, it's a, I, I teach this class. I need to do numbers in the university, and mm. I teach 17th century poetry, so no one goes to my class. My, my class on El Quixote is more or less successful, but the rest, <laughs> they are empty. So I need to make numbers in the university. So, so I teach this class that, that is named soccer as a beautiful, as soccer as an art in Latin America, mm. that, that is about soccer writing in Latin America, and that has like, like Enormous amounts of students, and yeah. with that, I compensate the cult of 17th century <laughs> classes. So I'm re I'm returning to Calois. I had never read it, and, mm -hmm. and I, I I have taught that class I don't know six four times, maybe three by now. So I'm changing the 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 books that we read because I get tired. Right? Yeah. you can repeat yourself a very limited amount of time, and and, and I like learning things. So, so I'm changing like the theory, and this this semester I'm focusing it the class in the idea of playing games. So, so we will read Omoludens, we will read man play and games of Galois, etc., etc. Some some classics on the subject of playing. Excellent, very good. So, so that's more or less what, what what I'm reading now, depending on the circumstance. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking to Alvaro Enrique. Are you struggling to run a global empire? Is your sister the same person as your wife? Have you just McFucking had it? Well, why not try Moctezuma's Magic Mushrooms, proud sponsors of this week's episode? Use promo code. <laughs> to get 20% off your first order. We're back on Beyond the Zero, it's time for Alvaro's Desert Island Books. 
I, you're never ready for that because I would never go to a desert island. <laughs> and if I ended up in a desert land, that island surely I would have not books. <laughs> Nevertheless, I I I I would cheat on this question just a little bit, mm. and and I I think so the correct answer would be that I would take Moby Dick or Don Quixote that mm. are never-ending novels. No, I, I have, I'm the, Don, the Cervantes professor at my university, so, so, so I have read Don Quixote maybe 12 times, and each time is a new book. No, so, so I know that I will be reading that the rest of my life, mm. and I will be very happy to be reading it every 18 months. That is what I do. And, and then Moby Dick is a book that I think that I should know better, that I should have memorized because it was so important for me. And, mm. and I, 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 as I don't teach English, uh, American literature, I, I never return to it and I never have time. So that would be a good thing. But, but as, as I can teach, as I can cheat, just because I said it, mm. what I could do is take the four volumes, that is really one book, but is divided in four in front, of, of the works of Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, the 17th okay. century Mexican nun that, that was like the top poet of her time, mm -hmm. who was incredibly famous, who, who wrote the, 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 the first feminist manifesto in, in, in Western culture and many other things. No? She was an extraordinary poet, an extraordinary songwriter, a, a, a monster of a playwriter. Mm. And, and I teach a class on her, and I always feel that I, I don't know her enough. It, it's always so mysterious. And more than anything, nothing makes me happier than reading her. So so I go take her. Not an anthology, everything. <laughs> it's a weird decision, but it's, it's an honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> I should wrap it up with you. It has been such a pleasure chatting, and congratulations on You Dreamed of Empires. It's just such a great read. And I loved reading it alongside... I got to reread Sudden Death before I read this. So just a great, great pair of books together. But yeah, congratulations again. Well, thanks very much for this. I, I, I think that it must be very early in the morning in Australia, right? It's not that early. It's 8.30 now. So Ah, okay. Then yeah. it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> then it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks very much for, for the intention. I, I didn't know that, that you were in, in Melbourne. I would have been much more excited that, than that, that that I began this conversation with knowing that you were there. No, it's a <laughs> fascinating land, a fascinating land, in which, as I told you, I, I have a niece that lives mm -hmm. in the city. So, so it's just great. No, uh -huh. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, really. You're welcome, and thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks once again to Alvaro and Rigue. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on X and Instagram at beyondzeropod, and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. Don't forget to support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with the next episode very soon. <laughs>